we fucking finally start recording, just hit the bitch. I mean, so I'm sorry. We had some issues. It literally just took us like fucking 20 minutes to set our shit up. We were sitting here trying to figure out why the lights weren't flashing on our sound mixer, our beautiful piece of technology here. Yeah. If you'll recall last week, Kenny said if the lights are on, then it's flashing. And we did our test recording and it sounded like shit. And I noticed that there are no flashing lights on the sound bar board because I am our tech department. <laughs> God help us. And um, it wasn't working because the fucking power cord was laying on top of the sound bar, not plugged into the wall. Not only was the power okay. cord not so plugged in. So we plugged in. the power cord in. Still sounded like shit, but the lights were on. It's a fucking mystery. Whoop-de-doo, it wasn't plugged into the God-blessed USB outlet on the computer. Neither end of this fucking soundboard was plugged in, and for like 10 minutes, we were like, what's wrong? I, don't I just didn't know how to function. I, I guess I was we have like, to quit podcasting. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to podcast today. Do not know how to podcast. Do not compute podcast shutting down. Why is your podcast computer Russian? What's was it Russian? There? I don't know. It was a little. It Russian. should be Irish. God damn it! No, you're not allowed to make it an Irish thing. It, the whole world's a Russian thing right now because the World Cup. Oh yeah, there's that. We're not yeah. talking about that today, though. They're playing some soccer and you know having some human atrocity and yeah. How many? Um, do you think that Google experienced an increase in people googling what is Makba? I heard something about that, but then I, I just uh, I didn't care enough to to research. So yeah. if it were me, there would be no results. What is Makba? <laughs> For but all you wanted hard listeners right? who are wondering, yeah, it's that's how it's spelled in. Um, well, that's how it's spelled in Cyrillic. So it's pronounced Moskva uh -huh. in Cyrillic, and it's Moscow. For the one person who's listening, who's like sheepish because they don't know what it means <laughs> fuck who's that, that text from uh that was from our person in russia was it yeah our expert yeah no um it's spelled uh moskva in, in cyrillic and is pronounced that way but it is moscow in english moscow moscow as everyone in my from our hometown said when I when I moved to Moscow for a while. Well, I don't think they Moscow. had ever... Moscow. I don't think they had ever even said the word Moscow. Why are you going over there to that Russia for? <laughs> what you need over there in that Russia? What they got over there that you can't get over here? You gonna go over there and pet you a Russian bear? We got bears here. We got a black bear. We got a brown bear. You can go out west, get your grizzly bear. <laughs> How did Guys, get there? it is so, that is so true, though. Like, <laughs> it's funny and it's true. It's funny, but it's real because that's, that's our heritage. It is. It is real. So I don't even know how we got there. And that and that concludes our coverage on the World Cup. <laughs> that's about all the fuck you'll get from us. <laughs> I'm a budding Ever. hockey fan. Ever. I'm a I'm a budding hockey fan, and I was totally fucking into the chase for the cup because my Capitals, and also it's like here in our 
town. So that's kind of cool. Um, I don't know but, who um, this person is, by the way. No, hockey is fucking awesome. Here's the thing. It's super hot, fucking burly ass, muscular dudes who are swift and deft on their feet because they're skating around on little teeny ice skates. But they're just fucking beating the shit out of each other and fucking wearing each other's skulls as crowns. And I'm just fucking about it. But I don't get that same feeling about soccer. So I don't have anything for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do we have today? You have, don't you have a podcast you want to talk about? Yes, I do. I do. So I just recently discovered uh, a pretty cool podcast and it kind of ties into our theme for this episode so being that it is june uh and pride month woo, hell yeah um we have uh an lgbt themed episode for you today so excited for that but the podcast that i discovered uh is called dead for filth Love the name. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love the name. Mm-hmm. And um, it's from the ooky spooky mind of horror personality and screenwriter Michael Varati. And he essentially just talks about all things queer, horror, and beyond. Uh, Dead for Filth will bring you the best queer and horror icons out of the closet and into the night to talk about the mm-hmm. genre they love. And I actually sat and like binged on several episodes. He did one with Vander Von Odd from Dragula, mm-hmm. which you know we're super into. Yes. Um, we love some Dragula. And I didn't realize that Vander was actually a director. He like directs horror films too. Huh. That makes sense though. Yes. And so I was listening to this episode and they mentioned one of his, ep- uh, one of his uh, short films that he produced that is available on YouTube to watch. I highly recommend everyone immediately i don't give a shit if you pause this podcast right now pause it go on youtube search up tres versos t-r-e-s-v-e-r-s-o-s three verses search it on youtube it is an amazing horror short like it's like 13 minutes and i sat there and i was like i I clutched my pearls a little bit. Why the fuck is this the first I'm hearing about this? I don't know. I had no clue. I had huh. no clue. And apparently he's actually directing a uh, a feature-length film. Really? Uh, that's, like, in the works for him. So I'm really excited for it. Just having seen, like, a taste of, like, mm-hmm. this. It was very artfully done. And it just really, like, it was... It definitely stands out as one of my favorite, like, horror shorts. Huh. So, um... We have to watch that. Yeah, I wanted to actually get you to watch it before we recorded, but forgot. No, great. <laughs> but Good. completely forgot. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm going to show it to you. Okay. It's amazing. Um, so yes, <laughs> definitely go check out uh, Dead for Filth um, if that's what you're into, like which it should be because you're into us. Right. Yeah. So true. If you if you're if you hear about that podcast and you're like, no, it's not for me. Like, I'm just not really interested. You're probably not gonna be interested in this episode, babe, because we are talking queers, yes, steers, and horror. Yes. Did it work? I don't think it worked. Is that you trying to title this episode? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, well, no, there's not really. Yeah, I don't think we. I don't think we have any steers. Maybe I could find some 
some cow facts and just put it in there. Cow <laughs> I'll just uh, every so often interrupt with a cow fact. How now, brown cow? <laughs> How now, brown cow? What and the then fuck there'll be like a tone. From? There'll be like a fucking tone, and then I'll just share a bovine related fact. What was that from? What was How Now, Brown Cow from? Um, was it from a kid's book or rhyme? I thought it was supposed to like teach you something. How Now, Brown Cow? I don't think so. I don't um, know. I mean, I'm interested enough to look it up. How now, brown cow? So, yes, that's kind of our Wait, episode no, right I'm now. I'm fucking what? looking it up. Well, I just didn't know. You were taking oh, a long time. In, I didn't want there to be awkward elocution, silence. In teaching elocution, uh, it's, it dates back to at least 1926. Although not in use today, the phrase how now is a greeting. I don't think it's like from any. I think it's like to teach. How to enunciate. Yeah. Like but a, like not. It's like red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. That's really scary, actually. The scary. I want to write a short horror film called Red Leather, Yellow Leather. Yeah. We should. Um, we could do a series, and we could call another one Unique New York. That's the one that I always struggled with. Unique New York. Unique New York. And the long version is, um, you know New York, you need New York, you know you need Unique New what York. What if the short film was like Hellraiser inspired, except instead of Cenobites coming forth, you just had like people or like these weird entities that say these phrases so you have English like, grammar teachers English grammar teachers <laughs> we're stuck in a loop forth. how now brown girl I, I mean that kind of sounds fucking terrifying you're welcome Let's that's talent let's just make it happen so um but yes definitely go check out that podcast absolutely love it another thing that I'm really excited for uh being on topic you actually uh, mentioned this to me, I think, or you tagged me or something, in The Quiet Room. Yes. Uh, it's the film with Alaska Thunderfuck in it. Yes. Um, and I watched the trailer for that, uh, and I really want to see it. Yeah. It looks yeah. phenomenal. Me too, actually. Um, I love Alaska, so I will, I will eat whatever shit that bitch turns out. Yeah, so, like, the premise is, like, uh, you have this guy, Michael, uh, after a failed suicide attempt, uh, reluctantly begins to make friends in the psych ward where he wakes up. And fellow patients, Hunter, Joe, and Rachel, explain the hospital's urban legend. A malevolent entity named Hattie haunts their Hattie. <laughs> <That's, laughs> that is, so, my... My on my witch playlist on every single witchy playlist I've ever made, my song, my theme, if you will, is um, called um, Backwater Hattie. Backwater Hattie. I think it's actually called Swamp Witch, but like the song is about old oh, Hattie lived back in the swamp, and like it's like essentially a story about a swamp witch, and the town gets sick, and she helps them, and then they're like, oh my god, she helped us! Like in the beginning, they think she's weird. But then after she saves them all from dying of some disease or whatever with a potion, they're like, let's go thank her. And these two guys go into the wilderness to find her to thank her. And spoiler alert, they never fucking came back. And she left a note that was like, don't you ever fucking try to find me, which Ooh, I just shit. received so much. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to help you, but stay the fuck away from don't me. Don't you ever try don't to find me. Don't you ever come and find me again. I receive it too, man. It's beautiful. Anyway, Hattie. Yes, Deep Hattie. Deep connection with that. So apparently, you know, this Hattie entity uh, uh, haunts this uh, 
hospital and Michael apparently becomes her next target. Uh, but what I really like is I'm just, you know, just reading from the website that it's really, uh, it tackles like issues of mental health and, you know, how oftentimes in film, particularly the horror genre, genre people suffering from mental illness are misrepresented or villainized. Um, and the story just sort of features an unlikely group of outcasts sort of coming together to overcome uh, this, to overcome Hattie. And so it becomes like an opportunity to externalize a struggle that is internal by nature and show that there is hope even in the darkest of places. So That I, actually sounds really cool. Yeah, I mean, and it's really, I mean, it's true if you think about it. Like a lot of the times, if mm-hmm. you know, mental illness is always often mm-hmm. represented as That's the scary. villain. So yeah. I think, you know, having that as like you know that's your main like i guess protagonist i should say mm-hmm. i just think is it's different yeah oh, and and it's you know something that's, that's a not very lofty seen. goal i'll be interested to watch the movie to see if it if it meets that goal and it looked good like the quality of the film looked really good too oh like, yeah. Through the tra- yeah like through the trailer like it didn't look yeah, it, like it didn't campy look like it was filmed on an iphone or like no, no 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 it didn't it actually looked like really good and from what i saw of like Alaska's like makeup. She looked fucking terrifying. So really excited to see that. But that just sort of takes us into the meat of what I am talking about. The steer meat, perhaps. The steer meat. Yes. Um, is what does it mean to be queer and be into horror? Where do we fit into this space? Uh, and this is a subject of which I am particularly versed with, obviously. And I have come across that a lot of people within the horror community uh, that will say, oh, well, why should it matter? Uh, who a person fucks? <laughs> they're, all getting caught, they're all getting cut up. Yeah. But uh, in the history of horror, you have this oversaturation of heterosexual energy that is thrust on you so that's why i get so confused when i hear people say that sexuality shouldn't matter i'm like i don't know to me it just seems to be like they what they really mean to say is like queer sexuality doesn't matter like you didn't have a problem with like in the 80s with all of these fucking jocks and cheerleaders getting it on but now all of a sudden like you have uh gay sex or queer you know sexuality in play now all of a sudden it's like I don't want to see that. Or, are like, people, it shouldn't matter. Are there people who feel that way, though? Yes. I guess I'm just so removed from people. Yes. Like, no, there are I feel like someone feel would way. say something like that, and I would just, like, wordlessly get up and leave. No, <laughs> like, there are people. No, I have read um, I have read numerous comments, like, even uh, even on iHorror.com, who just, they did a, uh, or are doing a series for pride month uh, on horror which is awesome and literally all of the comment like the majority of the comments are just filled with people that's like why should this matter why should this it's just horror like yes so it is very it is still in 2018 very very present i mean i guess i'm so far because initially when you said that like i kind of agree with you but from way on the other side of that argument you know what i mean like I guess it doesn't like obviously I want more queer representation in the horror space and I totally get that that it has been driven by a very heterosexual energy for such a long time but it's like I would I would love for us to get to a place of equality where we could say from a place of equality that it doesn't matter 
who someone has sex with because they're all getting cut up anyway. You know what I mean? Right. Does that make sense? Like, I would like for us to be in a place where the where it actually is equal. Right. So that we could then say that. And then, but we would get there by having that representation. Right. Because once you get that representation, then it becomes, right. then it becomes, oh, who gives a fuck? Because right. everybody's getting cut up. You know what right. I mean? It's not just, yeah. oh, you have that one token gay. Right. He gets cut up and he's gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, I think by adding more into, like, more representation into that, then it becomes more of an equal playing yeah. ground as yeah. opposed to, you know, not. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I've always been that way. I would love for there not to ha- even have to be a Pride Month because every month is Pride Month. You know what I mean? You should be prideful yourself. Like always. Always. Fucking always. Um, but, and, and at the same time, this is interesting to me because you, like, you have people that feel this way that are fans in the horror community, but I, I don't know. It's like we have a lot of, like, really cool, you know, gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual people that are creating amazing things in horror. So, like, without these people, you wouldn't have, like, some of the great content that you do, that you have. Um, Clive Barker, amazing LGBT icon in the horror community. Um, and as I was researching, I actually found this, um, this out. He faced some pushback in the original Hellraiser film during a scene where Frank and Julia were supposed to have anal sex, uh, but was changed to something, quote-unquote, more appropriate. And I'm like... I mean... I'm like... It's Hellraiser, though, babe. <laughs> right. Like, you know what I mean? What, right. what, who's to say what's appropriate? Yeah, like, incestuous desires, that's okay. That's fine. Adultery, yeah. murder, S&M-clad demons from hell... That's fine. You know, ripping you to shreds. That's <laughs> yeah. fine, but do not show the butt. You better sex. not touch the butthole. <laughs> do not show you the butt. Not sex. Touch it. And Don't I'm touch like, it. that just like Don't touch floored it. me because of how that film, it, like how just immensely dark that film is. Yeah. And like, oh, but the butt sex is where we draw the line. Absolutely. Yep, like, that's it. Nope. What? Actually, it has to be a circle because you can't touch, you can't approach it from any angle. Right. <laughs> you have to draw the circle. Right. But uh, that's how I feel like we head down like this dangerous path of erasing your identity. Like I really, I get the feeling that like that should not be like, you know, you should have multiple facets that right. make you who you are. Yes. Right. But you, it's still a part of you. Right. Right. So it should still be represented. Yeah. It's like like with me, like I don't, I probably don't initially read as a gay man. Well, everybody always thinks we're married anyway. Yeah. But like I would never want, like it's still a part of me. Yeah. And I still love that part of me. And right. I wouldn't change it. Right. And I wouldn't have anybody take it away. Yeah. Just as I'm sure you would feel the same way about, you know your femininity you know what i mean like right. I, there it's not the I, main thing but it's something that is a part of you and i feel like it should all still be represented and still be loved and still be approached in um an equal way i think that's else. an important message to what you were saying about the multi how your personality should have lots of different facets and i think it's it's really hard a lot of times for people who are kind of just coming into their identity as as part of the LGBTQ community, um, I think 
there is a sort of a temptation to, because you do feel like you've, you know, depending on what your experience has been, a lot of people feel like they have been somewhat oppressed and they have kind of had to compartmentalize that part of their personality and put it away. And so it like, like that becomes their whole identity, right? Yeah. And, and there's a fine line between you, you definitely, I think in this space, in the horror space, I think we should be highlighting our LGBTQ um, talent there. And I, that's why I really love what Ihora is doing with kind of shining a spotlight on that, but in a way that doesn't reduce their entire personality and their right. contributions to, well, this is a gay horror filmmaker and right. that's it. And, right. and like, here's eight gay horror filmmakers. Like instead I would love it to be like, and I think Ihora is doing a good job of this where, you know, the spotlight is like, this person may work in a totally different way than this other person. Right. Um, and so I think that that is important. Shining a spotlight without whitewashing everything. Um, yeah. You know. Um, and I think it's definitely something to be said. Like, it, I, I think it also goes back to, like, being that um, that token gay. Like, if you have, like, that token anyone. Right. But, like, in this context, like, a token gay, like, you you know, sort of prescribe them a stereotype and then they get killed away. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, speaking, That's not from the, what I speaking on see. behalf of the slut community, I <laughs> right? love a token slut. The <laughs> no one loves the token slut like me in a horror Right? Film. It's fantastic. Right? So, I don't know. I just feel like, again, it just goes back to that and, like, if we could just have more flesh these people out more right. and give That's them the more and flesh yeah. them out. I think once you, you know you just put someone in just to put them in there for, you know, whatever. Representation. For representation. For representation, yeah. Then, you know, it's very one note mm-hmm. and you care less. You know yeah. what I mean? And I, and I want to hear about it when it's not June, too. Also. Right, 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 right. Like, <laughs> can we just have... Did you ever see the, the movie Paranorman? Spotlight. Have uh, you heard of Paranorman? Yes, yes. I didn't. I've never seen it, but um, apparently there was there's a character in there who is gay, which surprised me because this huh. is like an a, an animated like I yeah. thought it was like a I thought it was like a, a I don't I think kids uh, movie, I don't but think it's like a kids kids movie. It's like a one of those like animated like yeah I, I young mean, adult movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a kids movie the same way that like Coraline was a kids movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so you have this character who's like this really big butchy like jock, uh, and then it's just casually like he just casually is like, oh well, me and my boyfriend are this like we we will be back, and it's just like fucking amazing, you know what I mean? And it's low key, it's low and key, just totally, it's not fucking love it. He's not being you know what's the word I'm looking for? He's um, not patronizing. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, I love that. It's almost which, like real life, would you right, say? Exactly. And so again, it just all goes back to like if we're stuck, if if we're stuck in that rut, that's just really bad storytelling. It, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. bad storytelling. Yeah. Like if you can't think of anything else for this person to be other than gay. you know a, sl- <laughs> a gay or a slut or right. this or that, and while we do love, I love our, a token slut. And while we do, and also like our B horror movies, like people that are just there to like, you know, our tropes. We love our tropes. Yes. Still. Um, I think it would further the, well, I think your point is that it would further the genre. Yeah. To also have, to maybe not play into that 
stereotype and that trope all the time. Or right. to maybe do what smart films like Scream have done and kind of turn that on its head. Yes. Because um, Rose McGowan in Scream is is the slut trope, right? But she's like the smartest one out of the group. Except for Sam. Really? No. She tried to escape through a cat door, bitch. No, but she's like, I mean, the fuck else was she going to go, babe? She almost had it. It was fine. <laughs> she tried to no. escape through a cat door. No, I mean, she did play her trope sometimes, but other times, like, she was, like, very level-headed. If you watch that movie, like, she talks. She's made up, like, the trope, right? And she speaks a little bit like the trope. But she's very, she's cleverer than, than you think. Cleverer than her trope and that's the point right because that movie was kind of trying to comment on its own structure yeah so getting back on track (laughs) what are we what are we talking about what are we talking about um yeah so no it just goes back to like i said it's just like it leads to really bad storytelling um and like we mentioned earlier like a lot of the times the lack of queer representation yeah yeah leads to very bad storytelling yeah yeah and it nouns nouns <laughs> we need nouns, them sometimes. words phrases use them how <laughs> now brown how now brown cow that should that be the name of the episode haunting you that should be the name of the episode let's do it how now brown cow what is this episode about uh, um whatever the fuck we want it to be about. what i appreciate is that even though i wore a dress today it now has rid like wrote up to the point that it seems like I'm wearing a, a shirt, shirt with no pants. It looks like one of my shirts that you would find in a drawer of mine. I, I appreciate just, that. Yeah. No matter what the length, this is my podcasting true form. True. Uh, so, yes, going back to uh, the fact that, like, a lot of the, and, you know, a lot of the times they're either, you know, that meaning they have a meaningless death. Uh, or they're the villains, and when they are the villains, it's oftentimes a result of their identity. So, I mean, if you even think about, like, Buffalo Bill, Norman Bates, both, you know, an example of that. And while I love those characters, there is something to be said uh, about what that sort of normalcy programs into the audience specifically those who you know may be more prone to like committing a hate crime or being more violent you know what i mean yeah i, I like think if the that's problem that is see. right that that's all that you see like those characters aren't a problem and i don't think that's what you're saying no 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 no, no they're not but it's just we don't see the opposite side of the coin where you see a healthy transgender person who is the protagonist of the story right. but you know there's no problem with Trotting out Buffalo Bill. No, 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 no. no. I love Buffalo Bill. I, I mean, (laughs) it is what it is. Um, I, yeah, Yeah. I can relate. But it's like, it's almost like that flavor, you know, the, the, is only used for, I don't know, like enhancing somebody's mental instability or enhancing someone's like strangeness or what, you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of like what you were talking about with the um, quiet room. That's what I'm saying. You know? Like that's why I think that it's like it's nice, it's fresh, and I'm just really interested to see someone else's take on, you know, on that because, like I said, I mean it that does tend to be like the norm for you know the person who may be uh, LGBTQ or they have mental illness to be. Um, villainized if they're not being killed off 
Right. I mean, even if like, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but like, even if you think about Split, which love it. Love that fucking But movie. I mean, it still follows that same idea, even though it kind of breaks it up a little bit because like you have his other character, like his other personalities who like help out. Yeah. Like, or I guess his true self helps out. But again, like I said, it still just sort of plays into that idea. Still love the movie. It's still fan-fucking-tastic. Um, but it still follows that formula. So uh, I just yeah, I think want the to... issue is we want um, what the gist seems to be is that we want more variation um, for for the roles written for and occupied by queer identities. Yeah. And despite all that, though, <laughs> a lot of the times queer people still relate to the villains and they identify with them. Uh, I mean, if you look at... I mean, at, I certainly do. I certainly do. <laughs> um, but if you look at, like, last year, do you remember, like, when the whole Babadook craze happened? Yeah. That's a prime example. So that started out as, like on Tumblr, someone was like, someone made a comment and was like, whenever someone says the Babadook isn't openly gay, it's like, did you even watch the movie? The post drew to close to 100,000 responses. Um, And it sort of had that dialogue back and forth between users and you'd have people that complain, well, it was just a movie. And then someone would say, oh, a movie about a gay man who just wants to live his life in a small Australian suburb. And it may be just a movie to you, but to the LGBT community, the Babadook is a symbol of our journey. That was a quote. That was a comment um, on as a response to the original post. Uh, Do you agree? I would get into that. Um, So then from there, Netflix added it to their LGBT section. (laughs) Great marketing, (laughs) by the way. Great marketing. And then that just really solidified it as an icon. Um, and while the and while that might be all jokes and fun, I mean there is a darker layer to that humor. So in the film, if you haven't watched it, the Babadook was a metaphor for this woman's immense grief and depression after the death of her husband, which sort of culminates in the Babadook possessing her. Uh, and at the end, she finds that she can never really get rid of the Babadook. She can only quell it by feeding it dirt, dirt and earthworms in the darkest corner of uh, of their basement. Um, so you can sort of see how parallels can be drawn, um, especially considering you have this just like darkness uh, that you feel it's coming out of the closet, coming out of the shadows. So I can see how, you know, people in the community can relate to that. Um, and I'll go into my I'm, I will go into my own personal experience. But first, I. Um, want to even also mention like this the whole thing with the Babadook even just goes even goes further back uh, to one of the most iconic monsters of all time in Frankenstein uh, James Whale directed this film who was also uh, an openly gay man in the 1930s which was virtually unheard of right props to him uh, didn't give any fucks uh, but even then you can see the relation between the monster and 
and queerness. You have this monster spurned by his father, chased by villagers, and never really fully understood. Uh, you have themes of repressed sexuality in Frankenstein, as the monster could be seen as a literal uh, interpretation of the doctor's own sexuality. Uh, it could be drawn as an example of what it means to be transgender, even. Uh, there are many interpretations that we can get from this, but that's what makes horror, horror so relatable for some of us. Um, I know for me, I related to the monsters because I felt like I understood them. You know, there comes a time when you're sort of, when you're figuring everything out, uh, that you realize there's something different about you and you're sitting at the dinner table, uh, or you're with friends and you hear someone say that phobic comment. And from that moment on, uh, it's like a force comes in and displaces you for me it was like i was pushed into this fragile like black and white world where i was now outside looking in almost like in the further and the door was there but i was too afraid to open it because i didn't know who i would be stepping out as what if i stepped out of the shadows as a monster to the people that i love mm. so I took comfort in horror, and I befriended those monsters that I felt like I shared a world with. And I definitely, definitely contribute horror for giving me the confidence to come out of that space because I realized that, bitch, I liked being different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like being different. Um, and by no means uh, am I advocating violence when I say this, but that prom scene in Carrie has always, always, always been a profound moment for me uh in reference to coming out mm -hmm. like at some point you just burn everything to the ground and step out into world as to and step out into the world as this changed being it's literally almost like a rebirth hmm. um so i've always like and that's one of the first movies that i was in, like that's one of the first movies that, movies that introduced me to horror um was carrie i think it was Literally, classical it was, education. It really was. It was Halloween, um, Halloween, Child's Play, Carrie. Those were my three. Like, oh, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Cannot mm -hmm. forget that. Those were like my four. Like, those are the earliest films that I could remember watching, uh, and still to this day, that moment, like in Carrie, where she just like, where she just like gets those fucking crazy eyes, and mm -hmm. then just fucking burns everything down. Mm -hmm. I relate to that. I related to that so much, especially like in high school, like because I was so quiet for the most of my time. And then something happened like in my senior year where I was like, fuck it. I don't care. I want to join this drama club. I want to act in this play. I'm going to do it. Because prior to that, I'd been so like deathly afraid of doing any of that. And that's when I was, you met me. And that's when I met you. And your whole life changed. And it changed forever. <laughs> and here we are not plugging our shit and in. And here we are. Trying to ramshackle to our lives together. Day, to <laughs> this very day. Then you met you a, a fellow monster of yo. A monster. It's a lie. Then you met your bride of Frankenstein. Oh this my God. It really is. Frankenstein fucking, and what bride a blessing. That's why we have mashing socks. We really do. My fucking cat tore a hole in mine. <sighs> Yeah. We have to order a new one. Yeah, we do. God. We really do. 
So that was Turning my little... to our Patreon. No. Yes. I'm kidding. Yes. <laughs> I'm kidding. So that was my little moment on um, <laughs> like being queer and into horror and just sort of like what we need to do to like make this a better space because we all love horror for our own individual reasons and we just want it to be better because like we get shit on a lot of the times from all of the other genres oh yeah oh yeah and like we like i like being the underdog Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong but we have some brilliant fucking minds yeah in this genre and i just want i just want it to be out i want it to be better uh, I want fleshed out characters. Yeah. Um, I want shit that is relatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want you to make me feel something. I want to care for these characters. So that way it hurts when they're fucking sliced up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I want smart horror. Um, fleshed out characters. Yeah. But I, you know, I love a plot. Yeah, I will always choose a plot. You're more into over the intellect, character, to the, like the what the am I structure, to say? The, structure the structure of it. Of it. I yeah. want more of the emotion into yeah. it. Yeah, and we're different that way. Yeah, um, but I think you know because you know how right. emotional I can get in a fucking movie. Like oh, a movie sure. can be fucking shit, and but like if I get attached and to these fucking characters, I you am moved. moved. I am like. So moved. Literally moved. Call, and Katie's like... Call the fucking trucks, babe, because you moving. Katie judges me when I get into that space. Just a little. Fine. Sometimes that's I can get that way too, though. Sometimes you can get me. But I, I, I like... I like structures. I like it when people play with the structure of things. She likes it when they, like, fuck fucking... Me turn one on her and like she like I do. fucking it's I like do. she's and been like, she's been bested Ooh, <laughs> i'll do my uh i'll do my katie ooh. wants you to best her my quiet with my with my hand to my clutch chest. your pearls clutch ooh. your pearls <gasps> <gasps> i think the last movie that did that for me mm, i know i'm leaving something out but i think the last movie that did that for me was your next yeah and that didn't they do did a whole a really lot good for me. job yeah. I still love it. It's a great film, but it didn't do a whole lot for yeah. me. But and and that's how we're and that's why we are fleshed out human beings. Exactly. <laughs> da, da, here we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. All right. So, are we ready to descend into the world of true criminess? True crime. Into true crime corner. Did you say true crime? Yes, I did. Well, yes, I did. <laughs> said the killer <laughs> so it's been a while since i covered a case it really right? has the yeah fuck is up it's man. been a minute i mean i've been talking about demon possession and Ouija we have been getting more into the spiritual side of things for sure i've been running with the demons so i figured that we would bring it back to good old-fashioned true crime this week mm-hmm. um and unfortunately there is a plethora of material available um, on people who were murdered because they were gay. And I didn't want to talk about that because there are tons and tons and tons of stories, unfortunately, of ignorant shit like that. So I wanted to find, initially, when I started researching, I wanted to find a case where the uh, assailant was somehow connected to the LGBTQ scene, right? Mm. 
unfortunately, when I began my research for that, um, I got back a lot of terrible search results that were horribly homophobic and awful. Oh. So. See, I thought you were going to say you got back some, like, kinky porn or something. No. I, I mean, I wish that I had gotten <laughs> that back. But instead, I got, like, terrible things like the 10 most evil homosexuals <laughs> ever. Number one, me. <laughs> <laughs> myself. Me, myself, and the devil. <laughs> and it's just you wearing, like, the costume <laughs> horns. Quote the Alyssa Edwards tongue pop. <laughs> so... So that wasn't going to work either. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, So it was about that time, and I don't actually know how I stumbled across it, but I stumbled across this really interesting article who I I have to give her props. There was a very fascinating article in The Guardian um, written by Julie Bindel, B-I-N-D-E-L. And it's about new evidence in the Matthew Shepard case. New evidence. Yes. Interesting. Side note. I actually, um, community, forgive me, but I actually don't know a whole lot about this case. And I think a lot of people don't. Um, Certainly not from the angle that I'm going to look at it today. Um, So we're going to, we're going to put our true crimey thinking hats on and we're going to kind of look at this case. We're going to come to it fresh. You know what I mean? Yeah. So obviously, it's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the Matthew Shepard case um, inspired the Laramie Project. Um, it, it happened in 1998. The Laramie Project was written in the year 2000, um, and it toured worldwide. Um, it also inspired the Matthew Shepard Act, which our boy Obama passed in 2009, um, and that was that it made hate crimes that kind of created the language in the law for hate crimes. Right. Um, and defined what that is. And it really just brought attention to the rest of the world to bring awareness to the fact that LG, like hate crimes against LGBTQ people were real and that they actually did happen. Right. It certainly wasn't the first, and it certainly wasn't the last, but it kind of became elevated and kind of became known as like the case that brought attention to this issue finally. Mm-hmm. But my question today is whether this case is really what we've all been led to believe. Interesting. So in 2013, this is kind of what inspired me to cover this case this week. Um, in 2013, a journalist, he's actually an award-winning journalist, Stephen Jimenez, published his um, book on the Matthew Shepard case, which is called The Book of Matt, Hidden Truths About the Murder of Matthew Shepard. He spent, him and has spent 13 years interviewing more than 100 people who had a connection to the case. And he got a huge critical response for this book. Some of it was praise. A lot of it was hate. And a lot of the hate was from the LGBTQ community. Mm, Okay. Jimenez has a very different take on the Shepard case and one that is perhaps not not as black and white as we might think. Okay. I'm interested. So, let's examine the case itself, right? Because right. a lot of people know its significance, but not a lot of people know the details. Right. So, Matthew Shepard was born in 1976. 
He was born in Casper, Wyoming, into a really affluent family. Um, he had a slight frame. He was five foot two with blonde hair and braces, and he was always kind of um, uh, small, thin, short yeah. for his whole life. Okay. Um, he lived in Saudi Arabia and Switzerland, and he seemed to move around a whole lot due to his father's job. He took German and Italian language courses, and by the time he started um, college, he could speak three different languages. Sweet. So super intelligent. Um, and he also was seemed to be a really sweet, genuine guy. He was described as, quote, an optimistic and accepting young man who had a special gift of relating to almost anyone. He was the type of person who was very approachable and always looked to new challenges. Matthew had a great passion for equality and always stood up for the acceptance of people's differences. So he seems like a chill-ass dude, right? Right. I would would assume so. Yeah, totally. Um, So when he was around 19, the Shepherd family moved to Denver, Colorado for a brief stint. After he, they had been in Switzerland and Saudi Arabia, um, they came to Denver, and it was around 1995. And in February of 1995, Matthew was he went on a school trip to Morocco, and he was actually beaten and raped while he was in Morocco. Mm. Okay. Yes. So that experience led to some issues with depression and panic attacks. Um, there wasn't really anything in the research that I saw that mentioned PTSD specifically, but I wouldn't be surprised. No, not at we all. We didn't really diagnose PTSD on any large scale within civilians in the 90s. So, however, multiple times he was hospitalized um, due to clinical depression and suicidal ideation. Um, and it's been said that the Morocco attack is what may have triggered Matthew's foray into drugs. Unfortunately, um, right around the time that the Shepherd family moved to Denver in the mid-90s, Denver was experiencing a huge surge in methamphetamine usage. Mm-hmm. And this created kind of the perfect storm of, you know, you have this person who's gone through this horrible, horrible experience who has all of these issues with depression, and then you also have this surge in methamphetamine usage. And unfortunately... Um, it from the research, it seems that Matthew kind of found his way into that and began using methamphetamine um, rather heavily. Denver actually still has a huge issue with methamphetamines. Um, usage um, nearly tripled in 2017 compared to 2013. Shit. So it's still a problem. And it is almost 20 years later. Yeah. Well, over 20 years later. Yeah. So this is where people start to get a little itchy, right? Because we have a certain idea of this crime and we have an idea of this victim that's been presented to us. And this is maybe not starting to gel so well. All of this is based on research. Um, Stephen Jimenez, who wrote the book of Matt, alleges in his book that Matthew was addicted to and also dealing crystal meth and that he had dabbled in heroin. He also took significant sexual risks and he was allegedly being pimped alongside Aaron McKinney, you'll learn about him in a bit, with whom he'd also had occasional sexual encounters. He was HIV positive at the time of his death, and Matthew's drug abuse, and the fact that he knew one of his killers prior to the attack, we'll learn more about that in a minute too, was never explored in court. Neither was the rumor. These are all facts? These are all facts. So like blood tests, like he 
yeah. had methamphetamines in yes. his system and yeah. like all well, of that. Or yeah, like, that and also like th- I mean, there were years of methamphetamine because he the the crime didn't occur until 1998. Right. Right. And the methamphetamine started in 1995. Okay. So there were years that led up to how we got. Like right. obviously, you don't. I mean, I think everybody. Well, hopefully, everybody hasn't had experiences that teach you those things but you don't like try drugs one day and then the next day you're completely addicted and have no nothing else in your life like it takes a while to get there and that's not where I'm saying that Matthew was by the way but I'm just saying that that was a factor that maybe a lot of people haven't heard about okay so getting into the crime itself now that we've learned a bit about Matthew October 6 1998 um, Matthew is 21 years old and he's a poli sci major in his freshman year at Laramie University. And he went to Fireside Bar, which is an openly gay-friendly bar, which surprises some people. Um, Laramie is actually pretty liberal compared to the rest of Wyoming. So, <laughs> I mean, we have to take it with a grain of salt because right. it is fucking Wyoming, but yeah. it is the most liberal town in Wyoming, and this might be because the University of Wyoming is the number one employer. So there are actually a lot of educated people in this town, and there was a thriving, albeit close-knit, gay community Yeah, that existed. That what often happens in small towns. Right. Like, even with where, you know, we're from. Right. Like, it's very close. It's very, like, tight-knit. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, think, I think it's important to keep facts like that in mind because it's not like... It's so easy to see it as, like, us and them. And that, like that these people were constantly victimized in this town. And that's not necessarily true. They were part of the fabric of how the town operated, right? And people acknowledge that. So Matthew goes to Fireside Bar. Um, Russell Henderson and Aaron McKinney also arrive a bit later at Fireside as well. They chatted with Matthew before they all loaded up in a truck belonging to Aaron McKinney's father. In the truck, and this is a trigger warning for those of you who are... um, don't want to hear the details of these things. You might want to skip ahead like 15 seconds, 30 seconds. In the truck, um, Russell and Aaron took Matthew's wallet, keys, and shoes and beat him. Henderson and McKinney then removed Matthew from the truck, pistol whipped him 18 times in the head with a 357 Magnum, and repeatedly kicked him in the genitals. Then Mm. they tied him to a fence, set a fire, and left him unconscious in the near-freezing weather. Matthew was found um, by Aaron Kreffels. He was a, um, a student who was riding his bike 15 hours later. He at first mistook Matthew's body for a scarecrow. <gasps> oh, my he didn't, God. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't realize it was a person at first. Um, but Matthew was still alive, although barely. Um, Russell Henderson was apprehended by the police shortly after the crime happened. It was just a few hours after leaving Matthew. He and Aaron McKinney had headed in the direction of Matthew's house, but they got distracted when they ran into some other acquaintances of theirs, um, Emiliano Morales and uh, Jeremy Herrera. And apparently Herrera and Morales were slashing tires for fun, as one does in Wyoming. Wow. On a Friday night. (laughs) Kind of like us and cow tipping. Um, So they were slashing tires and... um, Russell Henderson and McKinney and Aaron McKinney decided to stop and also slash tires. And then apparently an the altercation fuck? ensued between um, McKinney and Morales and Aaron McKinney actually cracked 
uh, Morales's head open with the same 357 Magnum that he'd beaten Matthew with. So let me get this straight. So you have a couple guys who are slashing tires. Yep. And then two more guys come in who they're like, no. And they're like, oh, let's slash tires too. And then they're, they... And then they, they just fucking slash tires <laughs> they together. They just fucking like Until slash tires one together. of them pisses off the other one. You slashed homicidal my tire. Yes. And then, and then that but That's happens. how I'm imagining it. Yep. Yeah, great. Um... Regardless, though, as a result of that scuffle, um, the police were dispatched and police officer Flint Waters, who sounds like he's fucking made up. Like, that does not... Flint Waters? Like, Flint. he sounds like you he's, know what like, the no, hero no, no. of some, like, the, romance no, novel. No, 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 no. Can I, just, can I just say this? Flint, Michigan. Flint, Michigan. Flint Waters. Flint Waters. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> anyway... Police officer Flint Waters um, is who arrives at the scene, um, at the scene of um, the scuffle between McKinney and Morales, and he arrests Russell Henderson. At that point in time, Flint Waters found the truck, the gun, Matthew's shoes, and his credit card. So they know something's up, right? right? McKinney is arrested later, obviously, but um, Matthew's friends, Walt Bolden, and Alex Trout rushed to the hospital as soon as they had heard about his attack. That same day, they contacted the Associated Press and a couple local LGBTQ organizations the same day Mm -hmm. as Matthew was taken to the hospital. Walt Bolden linked, it was at that time that Walt Bolden linked the attack to Wyoming legislature's failure to pass a hate crimes bill. And he also said that the assault was identified as a hate crime by a policeman at the scene and that actually was not the case. But that's kind of how that started that ball rolling, right? Okay, yeah. On October 12th of 1998, Matthew Shepard succumbed to his injuries and passed away as a result of the injuries sustained at the hands of Russell Henderson and Aaron McKinney. On October 14th, a celebrity vigil was held for Matthew on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. It was attended by Ted Kennedy and Ellen DeGeneres. Elton John sent flowers. Um, Barbara Streisand phoned um, the Albany County Sheriff's Office to demand action on the case. Like, it was crazy. It was huge. Madonna called in an assistant. Fuck. Yes. Madonna called the university. All of the... Laramie University. (laughs) The queer gods and goddesses descended upon Earth. And President Clinton told... Who was obviously president at the time. (laughs) Really, Katie? Really? <laughs> President, President Clinton. Clinton was president. President Clinton told What you say when you need to fill your word count up. <laughs> president Clinton told journalists at the White House that day, quote, in our shock and grief, one thing must remain clear. Hate and prejudice are not American values. Matthew's funeral was attended by more than a thousand mourners. And mm. it was also boycotted by Westboro Baptist Church. Oh, f- I'm not even, not even mentioning them. Who? Who? Don't know her. So, obviously, this became a huge milestone. I don't want to call it a milestone, but it became a huge... Catalyst. Yeah, catalyst for action against LGBTQ hate crimes, which is awesome. Right. However, um, Stephen Jimenez's research suggests a different story. So, both Russell Henderson and Aaron McKinney, who were the murderers, had had rough home lives. Um, Henderson's mother was a chronic alcoholic who had been repeatedly beaten by his father. 
and McKinney spent much of his childhood alone, left by his mother with his grandparents, who locked him in the basement to keep him out of trouble. You know, if you really want to raise a really well-rounded child, just lock him in the dark, cold, damp basement. That'll make him really normal, I find. I mean, I think so. Just lock him in there. Maybe don't feed him too often. No, don't feed him any. You know, tell him they're worthless. That's that's good. It's good good raisin. Yeah. Be tough with them. Spare tough the rod, spoil the child. Tough love. So they had come from rough backgrounds. Um, however, in fact, far from being homophobic gay bashers, it's alleged that both Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson were no strangers to Laramie's gay population. Kathleen Johnson who this lady is you is me maybe this i'm lady a kathleen is like wyoming version of you so if i was wyoming, in wyoming i would be kathleen well i guess maybe. kenny so <laughs> that translates to kathleen so kathleen johnson is the former owner of laramie's antique store <laughs> granny's attic so she's running Granny's Attic. And All just, right, Granny's Attic. And I imagine attic. that Kathleen Johnson is just, like, watching everybody in the community. Oh, like yes, she is. I can guarantee you. If she's like me, honey, she knows everybody's secrets. Granny's she's Attic is on the main stretch. I have no idea where it is. But in my <laughs> mind, it's on the main stretch, and she just sits out on the porch and just watches everybody's comings and goings. Granny's Attic is a front. She knows who you dating. She mm-hmm. knows everybody. Because she, she collects the and she collects all of your shit. She does. And learns about all of you. So Kathleen Johnson said of Russell Henderson, um, Russell used to hang around with gay people. That's a direct quote. Um, quote, Laramie had a big gay population. I knew what people's sexual orientation was because <laughs> my best friend's son was gay. Oh, great. I saw them hanging around with Russell. End great. quote. Okay. And I and I don't want to, I don't want to feed into like, oh well, because Russell was near gay people, then that means he was gay. But what I'm trying to do is dispel the myth that has been built that you know these were two guys who had no idea who Matthew Shepard was, and they were down home gay hating white bread boys who like had no concept of the community it's clear that they did because they were part of it right doesn't necessarily mean they were gay however um over a dozen sources identified in jimenez's book that they had specifically seen aaron mckinney and matthew together some go so far as to say that aaron was openly bisexual and he and matthew were lovers some go even further and say that aaron mckinney joined matthew in prostitution for methamphetamines Mm. Others speculate that Aaron was Matthew's pimp in the prostitution for drugs business. Mm. Okay. Um, and, and again, those things are backed up with 13 years worth of research. These aren't, I mean, everything I'm saying is alleged, but I'm not making it up. Well, right. I just don't want, like, so this guy who's doing this, like, he, because you know you get that, in, like, where you have, you have the victim, who is mm-hmm. obviously Matthew Shepard. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I just... Yeah. I don't want to like play into like oh he doesn't they don't get an excuse for what they did you don't regardless no. of how how the fuck you grew up every, I don't give a shit yeah, what you everything did everything that they have done like every, everything that happened is not okay right um, however what 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 the purpose I think and the value and we'll get into some of this later of the value of knowing this part of the story is it fleshes everybody out. Kind of yeah. like what you were talking yeah. about with fully fleshed totally. out characters. Totally. It's not this 
homophobic. That they were just one thing. Got, yeah, right. they weren't just one thing. Um, there, There's a lot more there. Right. Um, the truth most likely lies somewhere in between all the rumors, but regardless, one fact remains the same. The police did not investigate the killer's relationship to the gay community at all, and they largely ignored the fact that Matthew and his murderers actually knew each other and knew had some other. sort of relationship. Right. Um, Flint Waters, our favorite, um, the officer who arrested Henderson, remains to this day convinced that this was not a homophobic hate crime. Uh, he was quoted as saying, I believe to this day that McKinney and Henderson were trying to find Matthew's house so that they could steal his drugs. It was fairly well known in the Laramie community that McKinney wouldn't be the one that was striking out out of, out of a sense of homophobia. Some of the officers I worked with had caught him in a sexual act with another man, so it didn't fit. None of that made any sense to us. Interesting. Quote. So if this cop is to be believed, McKinney is certainly... Well, all right. So here's the thing. I think that you can def. I mean, like, you can definitely still be a gay, hating, homophobic person and still... Engage in sexual engage acts, in sexual yeah. acts yeah. with men yes. and frequent gay bars yes. because that stems from a self hate that's like self self hatred yeah. from within yourself mm-hmm. that you then project outwardly towards mm-hmm. people. So just because you know he you know may have like like I said frequented uh, you know these gay bars or have been known or have been caught in sexual acts, like he could still 110% be a 3,000% homophobic douchebag. Yeah. And um, I don't know, like I, that's interesting that you mentioned like the drugs because, you know, coming from a small town, I think we have an insight on this because Mm -hmm. I know how a lot of people like in our hometown work and how they operate as far as like, I guess I, I guess the I guess the correct term would be trade, <laughs> um, but these you have these guys who act very masculine, very straight, um, but are really like on the DL. Yeah, and I think that once you fuse like drugs into it, uh, and then mix in that like self hatred that's probably there a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, it's just like. A really just nasty Super negative volatile. cauldron mm-hmm. of like volatile energy mm-hmm. that can explode at yeah. any given moment. Yeah, which is why like it no. So um, and that's why you see like even in like the eighties like when you have um, uh, like trans people who were uh, sex workers and you know there are several instances of like you know, these uh, trans women who were murdered uh, by the people that were engaging sexual activities with them. Right. You know, it just all comes from a sense of self-hatred, like Mm -hmm. you're still homophobic Mm -hmm. or transphobic or whatever. Right. Yeah. So Stephen Jimenez's own view, right, His, his thoughts on the motive, he was quoted as saying, the view was that homophobic, and this is prior to the release of his research, the view was that homophobic rednecks walked into a bar and saw an obviously gay man with money and targeted him and beat him to death for that reason. But that isn't what happened. Nothing in this book takes away from the iniquity and brutality of the crime or the culpability of Matthew's murderers. 
but we owe Matthew and other young men like him the truth. Aaron and Matthew had a friendship. They'd been involved sexually. They bought and sold drugs from each other. That complicates the original story of two strangers walking into a bar and targeting Matthew, Mm -hmm. someone they did not know because he was gay. Right. Um, And I think that he has a point that we, we owe it to Matthew and to young men like him to tell the truth. Right. That can also help out someone who might be in that situation right. because if you're telling the, the whole story, right. like it doesn't just create, um, it sort of breaks away that us versus them mentality. Yes. So it makes you realize yeah. that like as a gay person or transgendered or whatever, your enemy can be right there with you and you right. not know right. it. So right. it's not just a us versus them. That mm-hmm. person can literally be holding your hand, Mm -hmm. looking at you, requesting sex from you. Mm -hmm. And I think it says that as a, as, as a member of the LGBTQ community, you can also commit hate crimes. Yeah, totally. You know, I mean, nobody's above the law. You can just like you were saying, you can acting out of self hate, commit a hate crime on somebody else. Right. Um, No, it's still a hate crime. It just adds layers of, complication to the case um, right you know which life is complicated yeah and i like i said just reiterating i just think my biggest takeaway from that is just like you never re- like just be careful <laughs> always <laughs> just yeah. be careful really like don't get involved in anything you shouldn't be um unless of course it's witchcraft <laughs> just, be good. just sit at home listen to podcasts just sit at home listen to podcasts do some witchcraft you know so, that um, sort of thing so we'll we'll sort of um, wrap this case up. Um, McKinney and Henderson were arrested, obviously, and initially charged with attempted murder, kidnapping, and aggregate, aggravated robbery. Um, obviously, after Matthew passed, the charges were upgraded from attempted murder to first-degree murder, um, meaning that the two defendants were eligible for the death penalty. On April 5th of 1999, Russell Henderson accepted a plea deal to avoid going to trial, and he pled guilty to murder and kidnapping charges. And to escape the death penalty, Russell Henderson agreed to testify against Aaron McKinney, and he received a sentence of two life terms. So October to November of that same year, 1999, was Aaron McKinney's trial. And interestingly, um, the prosecutor for the case, Rerucha, I probably just murdered that name, Rerucha argued that the killing had been premeditated, driven by greed and violence, rather than by Matthew's sexual orientation. So the prosecutor in the case actually argued against it being a hate crime, Hmm. which is interesting. Um, McKinney's lawyer attempted to put forward a gay panic defense, arguing that McKinney was driven to temporary insanity by alleged sexual advances of Shepard. Oh, my God. The defense was quickly rejected by the judge. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. Um, The jury found... imagine the judge being like, Sir, sit down. (laughs) Um, The jury found McKinney not guilty of premeditated murder, but guilty of felony murder. Um, Shepard's parents made a deal resulting in McKinney receiving two consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole. Obviously, um, Stephen Jimenez's book has caused a lot of controversy in the LGBTQ community. Um, Some people have praised it. Um, John Stoltenberg is a gay rights activist and a longtime supporter of the Laramie Project, but he's also blogged really positively about the Book of Matt. Um, He said, quote, keeping Matthew as the poster boy of gay hate crime and ignoring the full tragedy of this story has been the agenda of many gay movement leaders. 
Ignoring the tragedies of Matthew's life prior to his murder will do nothing to help young men in our community who are sold for sex, ravaged by drugs, and generally exploited. Right. They will remain invisible and lost. Right. And I think he's absolutely right. Oh, yeah. Um, Ted Henson, a former lover and a friend of Matthew, believes that the book of Matt is, quote, nothing more than the truth, and that he was never certain that the murder was an anti-gay hate crime. He said, quote, I don't know why there's so much hostility towards Steve, meaning Steve and Jimenez. Matt would not have wanted to be seen as a martyr, but would have wanted the truth to come out. Mm. Um, but on the opposite side of the coin, the Matthew Shepard Foundation is not in agreement. A statement that they issued in 2013 following the publication of Jimenez's book read, we do not respond to innuendo, rumor, or conspiracy theories. Instead, we remain committed to honoring Matthew's memory and refuse to be intimidated by those who seek to tarnish it. We owe it to the tens of thousands of donors, activists, volunteers, and allies to the cause of equality who have made our work possible. Um, however, Stephen Jimenez remains steadfast in defense of his research, despite all of the controversy um, that it has stirred up in the, um, in the LGBTQ community. Um, he said, quote, to understand who Matthew really was, to alter our perception of him as a martyr and an icon is not going to be damaging to gay rights. I don't buy it. I don't think we have anything to lose from telling the truth. No. And Stephen Jimenez, by the way, is an openly gay award-winning journalist. Mm. You know, when you first mentioned that you were doing this topic, I was like, eh. Yeah. Okay. Like I said, yeah. I admit that I had not, like been fully exposed to the case um i knew like obviously i knew about it um i knew and you know and there were like there were a couple of movies made i believe about it right yeah Mm -hmm. and i kind of you know had seen some of those but you know this was really interesting to hear because i think it like even in my mind just thinking about it like i feel like i have gone from one perception of what or, or who you know Matthew was to, mm. I don't know. It just it feels like it's expanded, right? And I think it's there's definitely um, uh, something important to be said about about that, and that he you know wasn't just a martyr, but you know he had issues like a lot of right. other people, like do. everybody. Yeah. So like if you mm-hmm. were stripping him away of uh, of the truth, then right. how can anybody else relate to that? I think the you know issue, what I mean, or anyone else going through that, or, right? Like you're taking away things that could be relatable. Yeah, I think I think and making him a token. And see, I having studied theater, I've been subjected to the Laramie Project on many, many, many occasions. Right? Lots of people love to pull monologues from that book. Lots of people love to audition with monologues from that book uh, or from that play. It's very well known. And it's very overdone. Don't do it if you're in theater school right now. Um, however, I I don't think that I really knew the full story until I started researching for, um, for the episode. And I didn't intend to do this case. But when I started reading all of this, it, um, it really stuck with me because it's as though the people who are critical of this research and this telling of the story – it's as though they think that if we know that he had a, a problem with drugs and we know that he was HIV positive at the time of his death 
and we know that he may be engaged in some kind of risky sexual activity. It's as though those people think that if we, if that is part of our understanding of who this person was, that the crime is less heinous. Mm. That we'll think that he deserved it, that he deserved what he got, or that it's less of an awful thing that he, that his life was snuffed out. And that's so not true. I, I mean, I think it's important to tell the story as close to the truth as it can be because there are people out there who are exactly like Matthew right now. Right. And they need to hear his story. And and everybody needs to hear everybody needs to hear that it's not an us and them thing and that it's not a black and white thing and that it's not, you know, it's not that two strangers walked into a bar and targeted somebody because they thought that he was weak or whatever. There's so much more and so many more levels to it. And I think that, you know, I mean, to be honest with you, the way that the, the, my understanding of the Matthew Shepard case from the Laramie project was, you know, obviously it's very sad and very upsetting. Um, but I didn't think that it would be material that we would cover on our show just because, you know, it's the way it's presented there is very straightforward. Yeah. And what I wanted to do for this week was to kind of take a different approach to to an LGBTQ case and right. and to kind of, you know, bring some. Well, I, and I think that, you know, we recognize that some of these are, you know, it's just, some of it is just alleged. Yes. Right? Like, absolutely. it's just alleged. Yeah. All of I that think... is based on research that he carried out and it's interviews that he had. So, right. I mean, that's why I, I think I probably said yeah, the word alleged like did. a billion times. You did. I mean, I, I think you we know, should call it the is episode alleged, alleged, but it allows us to just sort of think differently about it and have a more of an open mind about right. it and open right. our perspectives right. to it. Um, like I said, which I think, again, just goes back to the whole theme of this episode is. You know, we are more than one just note. one note. We're yeah. more than just that one letter in right. LGBTQ. Right. Uh, we're so much more than that. And we all have our issues and we all have uh, our demons. And that's what makes us beautiful, though. Right. Uh, well, that's what makes... And that's what makes us strong. I f- yeah. For me, it and makes people, me strong. Fully, fully, like you were talking about fully fleshed out characters. I mean... As people, we have, you know, many facets, and some of them are not so bright and colorful no. and lovely. Some of them are black, very dark. Yeah. Um, Girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Most Ooh. of my qualities are black <laughs> and dark. Black dress, black nails, black heart, Absolutely. black eyes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> So. If it's dark enough, black hair, girl. Yeah. So um, that's what we have for you. We hope that you got something out of this. We hope that it was a, a meaningful episode to you. And we hope that we didn't, you know, piss off the entire LGBTQ community. I really don't want my LGBTQ <laughs> card revoked, Katie. Please, no. So, no. Um, but yeah, just know that... Uh, 
we love you guys uh and definitely if you if you are out there and you love horror and if you've got that story in you that you want to write and you just know that you can just like go fucking sell it i need you to go for it because we want to celebrate you i want to see more uh i want to see more horror shorts i want to see more feature length films i just i want just want more actually what i would love to do is if you if you listen to our show um and you write horror um or are involved in horror or anything like that or you know someone who is um we would love to kind of showcase um lgbtq horror pieces yes. like if you have short a short stories. story or a poem or a, a script creepypasta man yeah or a creepypasta fucking anything if it, i mean just send it to us you can email us at the haunted heart podcast at gmail.com we'll share it on the show we'll share it on our social media um you can tweet us at the haunted heart mm-hmm. you can instagram us if you want to shoot us a dm we're the haunted heart podcast on instagram um but yeah send us your shit if it's horror related or I don't know, true crimey related, anything that you think we might like. Yeah, Whatever. totally. We're down. And we'll we'll dive with that, especially since we have a bit a bit more time left in June before the clock strikes midnight and all the awesome LGBTQ people turn into pumpkins. Just kidding. <laughs> hey, I would love to turn we into a pumpkin. We go back to our secret pumpkin. lair. I would love to turn into a pumpkin, please. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a bad thing fucking, for me, that's bitch. That's my dream. Like, that's how fucking, I'm planning on please, ascending. I'll be- Please. There are some times in life I'm just like, please, can I just fucking be a pumpkin? Can I just sitting sit on a hay bale? Sit on a fucking hay bale, fucking fate like smile card right on in all the time. Happy or 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 mad, however I want to be man. for the rest of my life. I want to be a big mad pumpkin. That's fine <laughs> with me if I want to live my life as big mad pumpkin. Okay, on big mad pumpkin, I think. I think we gotta we gotta close. Now. All right, we'll so, close it out. Come Thank- hang out with us. Oh, I forgot to say, come hang out with us on Facebook. Um, we will also share some of the stuff that we get, some of the listener submissions that we get on our Facebook group, if we fucking get any. Um, so um, search for the Haunted Hot Podcast. It's a closed group. If you ask to join it, we will fucking approve you, unless you are John Wayne Gacy, in which case we will not. Um, <laughs> you better you better deny that before I will, because I will, will, fucking not. I will approve. <laughs> Wait till we do an episode on him. He's such a dick. So... Um, Yes, and then Patreon, we're always Patreoning. Um, we have some surprises coming up. I know we've been saying that for a while, but, like, they're coming. No, like, like we we're actually... We're not lying. Do. Like, they're, they're things. They're things. We're not lying. Fucking cool things. So, yes. We right. will um, talk to you guys later, I reckon. All right. And as always, stay, stay spooky. spooky.